I'm Brent McGarry. This week on The Couch Potatoes, we have so much stuff to do, including taking a trip to a galaxy far, far away. I'm Jeff Braun, a little closer to home, a movie that's also pretty far out. I'll tell you about The Disaster Artist. I also started watching a trio of shows on Netflix. I'll tell you which ones you should watch, but let's begin with a review of Star Wars Episode Eight: The Last Jedi. The Last Jedi picks up right where The Force Awakens left off, with a hero from that film, Rey, played by Daisy Ridley, meeting Luke Skywalker, and she begins to train as a Jedi because, as we saw in The Force Awakens, the Force is very strong with her. However, Luke is not too excited by her power. The Last Jedi will also see the return of the divisive villain played by Adam Driver, Kylo Ren. Let the past die. Kill it. If you have to. That's the only way to become what you were meant to be. We've also got Porgs. What is a porg, you say? It's a fuzzy little seabird creature that I think exists only to sell toys. And hey, good for them because they are selling lots of porg toys. In the meantime, the First Order has the resistance up against the wall and they need a win. They need the Jedi. The question is, is Rey the last Jedi? I need someone to show me my place in all this. So dramatic. So far with these new Star Wars movies, they are three for three. The Force Awakens was amazing fun. Rogue One delivered an excellent standalone story that tied in so nicely to the original trilogy. And now we have another truly great addition to the primary saga. Apologies for my voice, by the way. I've got a bit of a sore throat. I'll try to shake it off as we move along here. Just like The Force Awakens, The Last Jedi is hovering around the low to mid-90s on Rotten Tomatoes, so its reviews are good. It's almost unfair because it was always going to be impossible, impossible for The Last Jedi to match the level of excitement that was attached with The Force Awakens. That movie had the advantage of being the first Star Wars movie in 10 years, and it had the advantage of redeeming the entire saga after the disappointment of the prequels. It was a pop culture explosion unlike anything before it, making just under $248 million domestically in its opening weekend, just under $40 million more than the next movie in line, Jurassic World, and it went on to become the biggest movie of all time domestically, with $936 million well ahead of Avatar's $760 million. And I know if you adjust for inflation, Gone with the Wind has $1.8 billion, whatever. 
And it wasn't just hype and excitement that led to the success of The Force Awakens. It was great. Yeah, it was more or less a rehash of that very first Star Wars movie, A New Hope. But it was just so much fun. It was irresistible. I didn't just want to see it again. I had to see it again. And then again, I saw it three times in theaters alone. I think I've watched it three more times at home. The point I'm getting at here is after the prequels, It was relatively easy for The Force Awakens to simply regain our trust because all it had to do was be better than those prequels. And it was so much better. And then Rogue One comes along, and it too was an excellent film. It may very well be my favorite Star Wars movie. So now The Last Jedi brings with it expectations. We expect it to not just be good, but be great. And for the most part, it was great. I'll explain that in a moment first. The Force Awakens brought Star Wars back to basics, right? With good characters. And we continue on that path in The Last Jedi. We see Daisy Ridley's Rey continue her journey as she begins to try to understand what she is now capable of. She is strong with the Force, very strong. But what does that mean to her? Where will it lead her? Finn, who is played by John Boyega, he still kind of wants to run away, but he meets someone who helps him realize... Running is not the best option. Poe Dameron, the hotshot pilot played by Oscar Isaac, he wants so badly to end the First Order, to wipe out the bad guys, and you feel his pain. And then on top of all this, Luke Skywalker is back, and he is broken. He thinks it's time for the Jedi Order to become a thing of the past. He blames himself for Kylo Ren's rise to power because he was Luke's student before he turned to the dark side. And my God, what a treat it was to see Luke Skywalker again, to see Mark Hamill. Star Wars came out the year I was born. So I grew up watching these movies over and over and over again. I wanted to be Luke Skywalker. I even tried to cut my hair (laughs) to look like Luke Skywalker when I was in grade two. My mom was not happy with me because I I did it the day before school pictures. And now he's back, but he's sad and he's angry and he's shattered. And he also makes some interesting observations and has some interesting reasons on why he thinks it's time for the Jedi to end. I can't forget about General Leia, the late Carrie Fisher. She does some really great work in this. She will be missed in episode nine. The visuals, of course, they're extraordinary. I saw it in 3D. I don't know what you think about 3D, but I love it. And the locations are gorgeous and immersive. There are edge-of-your-seat battles in space. Basically everything you would expect from a Star Wars movie. Now, I did say, for the most part, it was great. It was too long, two and a half hours, easily the longest Star Wars movie by roughly 15 minutes. I just felt like it dragged Another part I didn't care for, there's this side mission that Finn goes on with his new friend Rose, and the whole thing just felt like an unnecessary distraction. And the movie leaves many questions unanswered, particularly when it comes to the boss of the First Order, Supreme Leader Snoke. Who is this guy? Where does he come from? How did he start the First Order? I was hoping this film would answer some of those questions, but it does not. In the end, though, it's a great time at the movies, and once again, they've made a new Star Wars movie that delivers. It is awesome. And they were so happy with director Ryan Johnson, they've given him the reins for a brand new trilogy once this trilogy is complete. J.J. Abrams, in the meantime, will direct Episode Nine, set to debut in December 2019. My verdict? Four couch cushions out of five. For The Last Jedi, up next, Jedi.
Jeff has a review of The Disaster Artist. You are listening to The Couch Potatoes. Welcome back to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff. He is Brett. This week, I saw The Disaster Artist, a movie about the making of legendary bad movie, The Room. Los Angeles, everybody wants to be star. You have to be the best and never give up. When I get up on stage in front of people, all I can think about is, what if they laugh at me? But you, man, you're fearless. I want to feel that too. I don't care. I'll do it. James Franco plays Tommy Wiseau, the man who wrote, directed, and starred in The Room, a cult classic that many agree is the worst movie of all time. In real life, Wiseau had his friend Greg Sestero to help him along. He's played in the movie by Frankel's real-life brother Dave, aka Cole Fusion, an alias that we keep mentioning on the Couch Potatoes. This town, Greg. They don't want me. Wish we could just make our own movie. That great idea. So there's this guy, Johnny, a true American hero, to be played by me. He has it all. Good luck, many friends, and also maybe Johnny is vampire. We'll see. This set of the alleyway looks exactly like the real alleyway. That's right. Well, why don't we just shoot in the real alleyway? Because it's a real Hollywood movie. No, yeah, sounds good. Okay. So the movie is a comedy about how this lunatic Tommy Wiseau made his crazy movie. Action! I did not hit her. I did not. Oh, hi, Mark. What the f- it doesn't work if you're looking at the camera! The big question, yeah, it's real. Uh, the big question about the disaster artist, though, uh, one that my buddy Joel and I wrestled with is, should you see it if you've never seen The Room? Because I have not seen The Room, but I have seen chunks and several scenes on YouTube. I know what it's about, the style, the level of badness it achieves. I've also listened to a couple podcasts about the movie and the making of the movie and gotten a pretty good sense about what it was like to be in Tommy Wiseau's orbit. So while I have not seen The Room, I am familiar with it and some of the people involved. And honestly, I don't know that I would have liked the movie as much if I had just gone in cold. So if this is all news to you, maybe hold off. And if you're interested, look into it a bit more and look up. Just go, like, even just go to YouTube and type in The Room and look at a few of the clips. Now, if you are familiar with The Room, you have to see this movie. It is hilarious. It's the most I've laughed in theaters since, I think, This Is The End, which came out a few years ago in 2013. James Franco directs and plays Wiseau, like I said. His real-life brother plays Greg, as Wiseau's friend and eventual co-star in The Room. The disaster artist uses Greg as the audience surrogate, the straight man, the normal guy, who gets drawn into Wiseau's world and can't believe what it's like. There are three things that nobody knows about Tommy Wiseau. His age, where he's from, and where he gets his money. He self-financed the room, and it's believed to have cost like $6 million, and he just lives in this little one-bedroom apartment. So, where does he get that money from? He sounds like he's from Eastern Europe somewhere, and but he says he's from New Orleans, from the bayou. <laughs> he's clearly not. Uh, and when you ask him his age, he always says that he's the same age as you. He says it to Greg repeatedly, despite being at least 10 or even 20 years older. Uh, much of the humor in the movie is derived from Tommy's weirdness, his general weirdness, his fish-out-of-water weirdness. He gets these North American phrases and customs all mixed up all the time, but he tries to play it off like he's an average Joe, which he is not. It's bizarre. And Franco just kills it. There's also the shooting of the movie section, which takes up a lot of the time. And we see, we see him try to explain and justify all the terrible decisions that resulted in the room like he buys all the cameras instead of renting them which is usually what happens and costs him a fortune he also sets up two cameras for the whole shoot he shoots it on a regular film camera and then right beside it he sets up a digital hd camera and shot it on digital hd and on film so there's two versions of it out there somewhere 
Oh, or he's got he's got two versions of it. <laughs> okay. Uh, they're like, did you want film or digital? Uh, both. What? You're going to do both? Nobody does. Yeah, no, we're going to do both. Yeah, it's just <laughs> like that. Okay. That's how it goes. Uh, there's also a surprising amount of drama, heart, and real emotion in The Disaster Artist. The actual subject matter, you know, sort of has no bearing in anyone else's real life. It's, But it is really a story about a guy who doesn't fit in, who wants to fit in. We've all been there. And more so, it's about a guy who won't accept defeat. He has a dream, he chases it hard, and he achieves it. People crap on his movie, but he did write, shoot, and star in a feature film, all of his own doing, and even though the movie sucks, that's pretty good accomplishment. So, uh, I love The Disaster Artist. I, I sort of had a vested interest in it, like I said, knowing what I did about the subject matter ahead of time. Again, you might dig it if you've never heard of Tommy Wiseau before. You'll definitely enjoy it, though, if you have. I would give it four couch cushions out of five. And a P.S., like the Marvel movies... Stay until after the end credits because there's a really good scene there. And uh, there's also, this keeps coming up, but there's a really good uh, Shakespeare in Love <laughs> reference in this movie. I'm serious. Shakespeare. I'm serious. <laughs> I don't My... know that we've gone, that Shakespeare in Love has ever been mentioned on this program <laughs> until know. the last six months. Not even six weeks. Yeah, and it's almost <laughs> weekly now. And my my buddy that I went to see the disaster artist with Joel, he gives me a lot of grief about liking Shakespeare in Love. Okay. And when the reference is made in the movie, he's he's just looked at me. He's like, "What are you kidding me? Always mad." That was, that was funny. <laughs> you must have had a big <laughs> smile on your face. Yeah, I was like, "Oh, all right." <laughs> okay, so uh, what was the uh, the reaction of the cr- from the crowd that you watched this film? There wasn't a lot of people there. Okay. But everyone, people were laughing. People enjoyed it. Yeah. Well, you tend to go see matinees, right? Yeah. This was a five thirty. This was a supper time one. Like five thirty. That's a weird time for a screening, isn't it? Yeah. I don't just... think I've ever been. It was just dead in there. Okay. Yeah. It's. Well, I, I was surprised. It was not worth their while to be open for that screening. Okay. But the people who were there seemed to enjoy it. And I'm just I'm trying to figure out where I can watch the room. It's not. I looked at Netflix. It's not there. No, no. Tommy Wiseau. If you. They do these midnight screenings, and you got to get in touch with him or his company, which I suspect is just him, and <laughs> and <laughs> and he and set it up like that. He's very protective of it. Oh, th- that's the only. Can you buy it? I don't know. I'm just gonna like go, go to Amazon and see if it's there. Okay, the, you now. would think they would, but it's all it's all him, and so I don't know if he's ever gotten DVDs pressed or not. Like there, well, there's clips on YouTube, so it's got to be right. Uh, Tommy Wiseau. The room. Can you really trust anyone? Uh, yeah, <laughs> so it's it is a, on Amazon. There yeah, it's on Amazon, and so you have to buy it. Chip, yeah, chip in with your friends and buy it. If okay. everyone puts in two bucks, have a party and watch it. Or like you said, just go to YouTube. It sounds like there are enough clips on YouTube yeah. that you get the gist of it. It just it looks really terrible. Uh, got a couple of minutes left here uh, before we need to pause. Uh, digital H- Well, let's look at what's coming to home video this upcoming week. Yeah, on Digital HD, it's a, it's a movie somehow that we both saw. So one of us liked it a lot more than the other, I think. It's called <laughs> It. cursed that all the bad things that happen in this town are because of one thing an evil thing i still can't believe you went to see this film. yeah now now that we've just listened to that i'm gonna have nightmares all the way through <laughs> christmas again so 
Right on. Have you looking over my shoulder for that stupid murderous clown? Have I shown you videos yet of Pennywise the clown dancing to anything? Yeah, I've seen all those. (laughs) I I didn't. I didn't think they were funny. Perhaps. Well, I. I probably because the the sight of the clown gives you nightmares. I. I thought they were funny. Just go to YouTube and type in Pennywise dances to anything, and you'll find like a hundred videos made by one guy called Accept. I think is his uh, YouTube (laughs) channel. E X C E P T. What else is coming out? Uh, My Little Pony, the movie. That's the exact opposite of It. Okay. That's also on Digital HD on Tuesday. And uh, Hard Copy Blu-rays on DVD on Tuesday. Dunkirk, Lego Ninjago, um, Mother. That's a movie with Jennifer Lawrence and Javier Bardem, Michelle Pfeiffer, Ned Harris. And uh, Victoria and Abdul starring Judi Dench playing another queen as she does so often like she did in Shakespeare in Love. Up next on The Couch Potatoes, we are going to... Put on our Santa hats and do a sort of a miniature version of Holiday Madness with the couch potatoes. And then after that, I'll tell you about the new Netflix shows I've been watching this week. You are listening to the Couch Potatoes. Brett McGarry, Jeff Brown, we are the Couch Potatoes. Normally what we like to do, what we've been doing over the years, is we'll take a do a whole episode on our favorite Christmas TV shows, our favorite Christmas movies. But we've just got so much stuff to do as we close out 2017. We're going to do a full episode next week on our favorite TV shows of the year. And then after that, our favorite movies. But right now, let's do at least one segment of Holiday Madness. Absolutely. Uh, we'll run down a few of our favorites here. I'll start. Will Ferrell unexpectedly made a Christmas classic back in 2003. It's called Elf. Hi. Your costume is pretty. Oh, it's not a costume. I'm an elf. Oh. Well, technically I'm a human, but I was raised by elves. New Line Cinema presents the story of one elf who's coming home for Christmas. It's the story of Buddy the Elf, although Buddy's not really an elf, he's a human raised as an elf at the North Pole, and when he grows up, his adoptive father, Bob Newhart, sends him to New York City to find his real dad, played by James Caan. And here's a fun game to play while you watch Elf, by the way. Is James Caan good in this? I could never figure it out. Sometimes it feels like it's his style, he's doing it on purpose, he intends to have it come across like that, but sometimes it really seems like he's just phoning it in, and somehow I think it works. I, I like the shot of him playing piano at the end, that really works. Anyways, Buddy has a bunch of adventures in New York City, including getting a job in, in a giant department store as an elf. Okay, people, tomorrow morning, 10 a.m., Santa's coming to town. Santa! Oh my God! Santa here? I know him. I know him. Farrell's childlike innocence and purity shines through in equally tender and hilarious ways, making Elf a great Christmas movie. I didn't see this one for about the first ten years that it was out. I think I just thought I was too cool for school or something, but now I watch it at least once, usually two or three times every year. I'm singing, I'm in a store, and I'm singing, I'm in a store, and I'm singing. Hey! There's no singing in the North Pole. Yes, there is. No, it's not. We sing all the time. No, it's not. Especially when we make toys. <laughs> His career would not be the same without You don't this think so? Eh? Yeah. No. It was a giant hit. Well, yeah, and it was because uh, I remember there was speculation, uh, like eyebrows being raised when this movie first came out. I know personally when I saw the first trailer or whatever it was, first commercial, I thought, really? He's- well... That looks yeah. stupid. It's not every year that a good Christmas movie comes out. There's usually one Christmas movie a year, and oftentimes it's not very good. Yeah, there hasn't really. I'm trying to think of the best one 
that I have enjoyed over the last years, and I can't think of one. I never did see a movie called The Night Before. That's a good one. Yeah, it was a fun one. That's a raunch comedy, though. That's hardly a, a family Christmas film of any sort. Um, I also same ditto for Bad Santa. That was a good one. Too. Oh, yeah, that's right. Bad Santa, but again, definitely not for kids. A, no, it's a rated R comedy. <laughs> <laughs> and there might be a film on this list that I don't know that I would recommend for the littlest of kids, but we'll get to that one eventually. Right now, well, this one maybe not for little kids either. I feel it in my fingers. In my fingers. I feel it in my toes. Feel it in my toes. Yeah. Love is all around. Oh, f- head and hole. Start again. Christmas is all around me. Okay, yeah, that's definitely not for little kids. It's Love Actually, the 2003 comedy drama about the interwoven lives of eight different pairs of people as time ticks down to December 25th. It follows all things love. Romance, failed romance, lust, desire, temptation, family, friends, it's all there. As is Bill Nye, as you heard, playing an aging rocker trying to retool an old hit into a Christmas song. But wouldn't it be great? If number one this Christmas wasn't some smug teenager, but an old ex-heroin addict searching for a comeback at any price. Love Actually was one of my ten favorite films of the first decade of this century, partly due to its amazing cast. Just listen to all these stars. Andrew Lincoln, who is Rick Grimes in The Walking Dead. Emma Thompson, Colin Firth, Kira Knightley, Liam Neeson, Laura Linney, Martin Freeman, Chiwetel Ejiofor. Hugh Grant, Rowan Atkinson, a.k.a. Mr. Bean, the late Alan Rickman, Billy Bob Thornton, January Jones, Alicia Cuthbert, Shannon Elizabeth, Denise Richards, and, as mentioned, Bill Nye. That's just to name a few. I love, love actually. All I want for Christmas is you. A Christmas Story is a stone-cold classic, and I would guess a lot of people would even say it's their very favorite Christmas movie. Ah, fragile. It must be Italian. Well, I think that says fragile, honey. Oh, yeah. There are so, so, so many good parts to A Christmas Story that actually makes my head spin. Here are just a few. We don't have time for all of the best parts. I triple dog dare you. You'll shoot your eye up. You'll shoot your eye up. <laughs> Not a finger. Oh. Uh, you shot he looks like a deranged Easter bunny. <laughs> he doesn't know. He does too. He looks like a pink nightmare. Oh my god, I shot my eye out. Ho, ho, ho. Randy, the little brother, is my favorite in there. A ton of great little scenes and subplots all through it, but in the end, what A Christmas Story does better than any other Christmas movie is it hits the nail on the head about what it feels like to be a kid and want that one toy that badly and how good it feels to get it. Now, of course, that's not the true meaning of Christmas, but come on, that's how kids operate, and the movie knows it. I remember there was one year where I was, and this, I was, I think I'd already moved into being just an early teenager, but I really wanted... Super Spike V-Ball for my Nintendo Entertainment System. Oh, yeah. And uh, it was uh, a year where I actually got, like, 
I put up a Christmas list as reference. You know, there's some yeah, of the yeah. things that I I got everything on my list, which was crazy. Um, but that was the one thing that was missing. So even though I got everything, I was sad because I opened oh, up all my presents. Worst Christmas ever. And then and then my mom says. By the way, I think there's one more thing sticking out of the Christmas tree. She'd wrapped it and tucked it into the tree. Just like in the movie. So I was Just like in the movie on purpose? Because um, the dad does that with the BB well, gun. Didn't he just- Spoilers for a Christmas story. <laughs> <laughs> he says, what's that there behind the bureau? Why don't you go check yeah, it out? That, yeah, pretty much. So maybe it was, I don't know. But yeah, that, it was perfect. That's awesome. And I still, I still play that video game. <laughs> so thank you, Mom. And thank you, Dad. Now, when the subject of all-time... All-time classic Christmas movies comes up. I think it's safe to say It's a Wonderful Life tends to lead that charge. But for me, it's this one. A Christmas Carol, the 1951 version starring Alistair Sim in the role of Ebenezer Scrooge. Why do you doubt your senses? Because a little thing affects them. A slight disorder of the stomach makes them cheat. You, you might be an undigested bit of beef, <laughs> a piece of cheese, a fragment of an underdone potato. There's more of gravy than of grave in you. Now, the Dickens story has been adapted countless times, and to tell you the truth, this, as far as an overall film goes, I don't know that this is the best one. I mean, the Muppets, for example, Jeff Braun, you recently saw The Muppets Christmas yeah, Carol, right? Yeah, and, and Michael Caine plays Scrooge in that one. That's cool. Yeah, and Kermit's in it, and Gonzo's in it. it, was, it was, I, I didn't watch the whole thing. I did watch enough of it. Uh, I was like, I think I... I don't know if I saw it as a kid, actually. The one I liked as a kid was the Mickey Christmas Carol. Oh, Mickey's... The Disney Cr- cartoon one. That was awesome. Yeah, that actually, uh, when we do the full Christmas episode, that one makes it into the right, TV side, because sure. it is genius. Uh, I always liked the George C. Scott version in the 80s, too. But, and point is, it's been adapted lots and lots and lots of times. Yeah, yeah. But I think, for me, this is the definitive edition because of... Alistair Sims' masterful performance. Humbug! Here's another great Christmas film. Remember that kid we saw the other day? He lives here. Well, if the kid's there, the parents gotta be. He's home alone. Home Alone, the 1990 movie starring Macaulay Culkin as Kevin McAllister, the kid who gets left behind when the family takes a Christmas vacation, and he loves it. I made my family disappear. There are 15 people in this house, and you're the only one who has to make trouble. I made my family disappear. But as you heard in the first clip, Joe Pesci and Daniel Stern, the wet bandits, are after his house. So Kevin fights back. This is my house. I have to defend it. Kevin booby traps the whole place in the slapstick chaos that ensues is priceless. It's too late for you, kid. We're already in the house. We're gonna get you. Okay, come and get me. There was a theatrical sequel, which I think actually had better slapstick stuff, but there were also two more straight-to-video sequels. Nothing, however, beats the original film. He's only a kid, Harry. We can take him. Ah, oh, shut up, we get... Ooh, what is it? You're missing some teeth. Where? That's my gold tooth. My gold tooth. I'll kill him! I'll kill him! And now, as always, the Couch Potato's favorite Christmas movie of all time. Now I have a machine gun. Ho, ho. 
Nothing says Christmas like Bruce Willis gearing up to blow away lowlifes in Die Hard. Yeah! John McClane heads to L.A. for Christmas to see his ex-wife and his kids, but at her work Christmas party, the office building, Nakatomi Plaza, gets overrun by terrorists, and only McClane can stop them. You have me at a loss. You know my name, but who are you? Just another American who saw too many movies as a child. Another orphan of a bankrupt culture who thinks he's John Wayne, Rambo, Marshall Dillon. I was always kind of partial to Roy Rogers, actually. I really like those sequined shirts. Do you really think you have a chance against us, Mr. Cowboy? Yippee-ki-yay, mother... It's the movie that made Bruce Willis a mega star, but it also has one of the best bad guys to ever appear on film, the late great Alan Rickman as Hans Gruber. Mr. Takaki. I could talk about industrialization and men's fashions all day, but I'm afraid work must intrude, and my associate Theo has some questions for you. No one denies it's one of, if not the best action movies of all time, but every now and then some dum-dum will say it's not a Christmas movie, when clearly it is. Theo, are we on schedule? One more to go, then it's up to you. And you better be right, because it looks like this last one's gonna take a miracle. It's Christmas, Theo. It's the time of miracles, so be of good cheer and call me when you hit the last lock. Enough said. Welcome to the party, pal! (laughs) (laughs) Merry Christmas. (laughs) Nothing says happy holidays like a hail of gunfire from an automatic rifle. Quick trivia. In all these movies we just mentioned, two actors appear in more than one movie. Name those actors. Uh, There was Alan Rickman. Boom! In Die Hard and Love Actually. And, uh... Deep Dive. One guy is the star of one movie and shows up briefly in another. Ah! Off the top of my head, I can't think of it. Peter Billingsley, young Ralphie in A Christmas Story, plays an elf at the North Pole in Elf. Oh my god, I never would have guessed that in a billion years. Because he's all grown up. All grown up. (laughs) Because he's friends with Favs, who directed it. Hey, uh, on the subject of Die Hard... You don't have to be a big movie fan to know that those lines come from Field of Dreams and Titanic. And those two movies are among the recent batch of 25 to be named to the National Film Registry. Each year, the Library of Congress adds to the list, and among the other entries this year are... La Bamba, The Goonies, Die Hard, and Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, not to mention Superman and the Disney animated classic Dumbo. Oscar Wells Gabriel, Washington. That's pretty neat. They really bury the lead there with that Die Hard, though. Like, it's third after La Bamba and the Goonies in this list. Come on, it should be the main one. Up next, I'll tell you what shows I've been watching on Netflix. I finally got to one of them I've been trying to get to since July. We'll give you those details in a moment. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett. He's Jeff. We are The Couch Potatoes. I've been off work this week for my regular job, so I've been watching more television than normal, trying to get through my PVR, but... On top of all the crap I have my PVR to get through, I decided to start not one, not two, but three shows on Netflix that I've been meaning to get through, but I just watch too much TV as it is. The first series I checked out debuted back on October 13th. It's called Mindhunter. It is not our job to commiserate with these people. It is our job to electrocute them. We can't like everything we do. We're talking to serial killers. Serial killers. New terminology. How do we get ahead of crazy if we don't know how crazy thinks? 
It's from director David Fincher, the genius behind many great films, including one of my all-time favorites, Seven. He's also the man who kick-started the first Netflix original series, House of Cards. Mindhunter is based on the true crime book Mindhunter Inside the FBI's Elite Serial Crime Unit, set in 1979 when criminal psychology and criminal profiling at the FBI are still in their early days. The first episode was fascinating stuff, well-acted, well-written, nicely directed from David David Fincher. It was, however, rather slow. That's not necessarily a knock. It was very compelling. I highly recommend it, but I don't know that it's a binge-worthy show. It's something I think you need to take time to digest. The second one that I checked out debuted back on July 21st on Netflix. It's called Ozark. Bert? Hello. Trevor Evans, FBI. Hi, what's yeah. going on? We believe your husband's partner was murdered. What? Let's all stop playing this game, shall we? Lying, the running, aren't you both tired? We made a choice to move our family to a more peaceful place. That's Jason Bateman and Laura Linney. Bateman plays Marty Bird, a financial manager in Chicago who is also laundering money for the Mexican cartel. And then that leads him and his family to move to the Lake of the Ozarks in Missouri to launder even more money for the Mexican cartel. Jason Bateman was nominated for Best Actor in a Drama at the Golden Globes. Bateman and Linney both got nominations at the Screen Actors Guild Awards. I loved the first episode. It was tense, had some genuine wow moments that made me scream out loud, and it has wonderful cinematography, so I can't recommend Ozark enough. I look forward to checking out the rest of it. And the third Netflix show that I took a look at this week is called Dark. Gestern, heute Morgen folgen sich aufeinander. Sie sind in einem ewigen Kreis miteinander verbunden. All right, so it's German. It's Netflix's first German-language original series, but it defaults to an English dub, in case subtitles aren't your thing. For me, I prefer to watch it with subtitles. Hearing sounds that are not matching the lip movements on screen, I just find that super distracting. Plus, some of the tone, I think, gets lost. And I just enjoy listening to people speak German. So I recommend you watch it in German. Before you start the show, go down to the audio and subtitles menu and select German for the audio and English subtitles. As for what it's about, all I have time to tell you is that it's a sci-fi, supernatural, time travel, maybe kind of mystery. It's really cool. Check out Dark. I'm Brett. He's Jeff. That's all the time we have. Remember, if it requires getting up off the couch, don't bother. Don't bother.